Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hello, culminators. I would like to introduce you today, to those of you who don't know her, to Raven Harrison, who was kind enough to host, to host me? I guess she did host me, yes, on her relatively new podcast. Uh, I guess it was a couple months ago. Raven ran as a Republican uh candidate for Congress in Texas. She is a very interesting lady. She's got a lot to say. And I thought it'd be a good idea for her to say some of it here. So I have invited her. She has graciously accepted. Now I've reciprocated. Uh, And I am sure that she is going to um, have something special that you hadn't thought of because her background is not your background. If you're watching this, I know who you are. You're not Raven Harrison. Raven, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Ron. Great to be here. How are you today? What's it like in Texas? Oh, it's a great day to be a Texan. It's awesome. We have beautiful weather. We have cattle and ranchers and- um, And oil, oil. Oil, Texas tea. (laughs) (laughs) Texas tea, right. You know, you- was it fifth fifth district? Twenty sixth district. Twenty six. Where did I where did the five come from? I don't know. Twenty sixth congressional. How the hell many seats does Texas have anyway? Oh, uh, quite a bit. Texas is a big state. You got to takes two days to drive across it, and probably two days to negotiate anything in Congress because of it. But I bet. But and yes, the twenty sixth congressional district. You're a lifer. Yes. As army brats go, I mean, you couldn't. I mean, you couldn't really be a true. Did you spend your entire entire childhood in Texas? No, impossible. No, I didn't. I was an Air Force brat, but both my parents are retired Air Force lieutenant colonels, and I'm married to a retired uh, Air Force major C-17 pilot. So you're you're Air Force people, big time. Yes, big time. solidly Air Force. That's why you like the big sky country so much, I guess. Aim high. So, all right. So, your district—I assume that your district is is where you where you live. Yes. One yes. cannot always assume that. I'm sitting. I'm speaking to you in Newark, New Jersey, which famously had a a mayor who didn't live in the city. He was now a member of Congress. Yes, they um, do that a lot. We have a lot of them that don't represent the districts that they live in. Nancy Pelosi being the most notable example. She's notable for so many reasons, but we don't want to get depressed too fast too early on in this, even though we're going to be talking about immigration, which is by far one of the most depressing issues in American political life in, in my entire lifetime. All right. So what part of Texas is is your territory? So is my territory, territory is just- country. That's what we're going to say. Texas country. So yes, we are just north of Dallas, Fort Worth. So um, a little, an hour- uh, an hour east of Fort Worth and about 20 minutes north of Dallas. I live in a city called Frisco, Texas, and that is where the Dallas Cowboys have their practice 
the star practice facility, which is bigger than some cities <laughs> in I'm and of sure. themselves. So I'm hearing then, as you describe it, a little bit of a pinkish tinge, which uh, uh, over what's mostly a probably a blue a blue blue territory, which is why you're not in Congress now. Well, it is, but we had a lot of, remember, we had the census came out, so we had the redistricting that happened last year was, was the, the epitome of gerrymandering and political theater. So our lines were redrawn that took out the strongest section. We had Tarrant County, which some people may or may not know was has been a hotbed. It was a strong Republican solid district. It was taken out of District 26, and instead it put in two rural districts um, and Denton, uh, county, which is probably where all the Californiaites and New York ones that are flooding in, the triple maskers are going there. And um, so that's what we had an uphill battle to deal with. But it wasn't just the Democrats. You know, I didn't have the most trouble. I didn't get to that point from the primaries. That came from the people inside our own party. I believe it. It's a well-known story. It's a well-known story, especially in in those border in those borderline areas. You know, it's even where I live in New Jersey, the the member of Congress in the district where I grew up after. But let me ask you something. If you lived in one place till you were nine years old. And then you lived until you were 18 in another place. Where did you grow up? The first place or the second place? The second place. The second place. OK, so. I didn't grow that much before I was nine. So oh, you don't <laughs> I consider would say that most of my growing took place above nine. For me, so so in my case, I grew up in Brooklyn. I would say I grew up in Brooklyn, but obviously I didn't because under your standard, when we, when we were nine, we moved to New Jersey. To the rest of the country, what's the difference between New York and New Jersey? What are you even concerned with? Why am I saying this? Because it, where I actually did grow up under, under the Harris test, there's a congressman named Chris Smith who has been in Congress since I was in college. Wow. Okay, this is this is when the college had just started. They just started, started ahead in college, okay? <laughs> and this guy is, he's been a rhino from day one, but it's exactly, these are, that's where these guys hang on and they hang in forever. Yes. All right, so that's the story. That's the election story. You might get back to that. I want to first learn a little bit more about you because we didn't get a chance to really get to know each other when you had me on. We just dove into these really uh, controversial issues. Uh, but I kind of rebranded this podcast in the second year of it because I felt that I wasn't having getting the opportunity to talk about the people themselves yes. as opposed to what they have to say about rather standard issues that everybody has actually rather standard opinions about. Right. Tell us how you got to where you are now. Well, the shortened story was, I, uh, like I had said, I am a, a daughter of two Air Force colonels. We moved a lot. I was born in Texas, uh, but both my parents were officers, so we had competing priorities and degrees. Both had uh, top-level security clearance in the Pentagon. We can get to that later. But You're allowed to uh, even tell me that? I'm allowed to even tell you that. Now, I can tell you that in all my years, I have never come across any accidental classified documents in the trash Not under my bicycle. The Corvette? Never, but it was a vintage Corvette. It was a, a vintage Corvette. So, and the doors on it were locked, even though the convertible was up. So, 
it was, uh, but yes, it was, so it was an interesting childhood, but we lived in Germany, some of the most dangerous communist countries being dragged all over the place, places that were very hostile to Americans. And, you know, my mom had another layer being a native American Indian. She was, you know, there were people who refused to salute her. Um, my dad being really? white. Oh really? yeah. We had really? people that, uh, and I noticed that as a child going, mom, aren't they supposed to salute, salute you? Cause in military ranks, the one who, who um, is of lesser ranks initiates right. the salute. And there are just people who would not, and she rose to Lieutenant Colonel and it was not an easy ride. So when I have people telling me, you know, oh, well, racism is this. And I was like, you want to tell me how to be a minority? I got this, go sit down. This is, this is my territory, but we did it, but they never complained. They they really had a sense of pride. It was bigger than, you know, she said, what I'm fighting for, mom, why do they do that? What I'm fighting for is bigger than that. And, this is remarkable uh, because nonetheless, in the 70s and 80s, yes. or 80s and 90s, your 70s mother, and 80s. <laughs> 70s and 80s, your mother was, as, as a Native American, able yes. to reach the rank of lieutenant colonel in Correct. the United States Air Force even though I have been told by reliable sources that this is the most racist, uh, apartheid, nasty, uh, hopeless country in the, yeah, that it's just right up there one step from hell. I've heard that too. But you know, the, the interesting thing is also she got a degree in electrical engineering, electrical electronics engineering from University of Houston. They refused to grade her papers. The dean had to grade her papers. She was the only woman of color in that program in the late, 60s and they didn't want to grade her papers and this is in the heart of texas but yet right. she's this done all texas, this that's a, that's texas in the 60s yes which was really a really a southern state yes for all and i was purposes. born there and so when i hear people you know but my mom unlike a lot of these ones you hear did not spend her time lamenting of all the things that were wrong she's still put her life on the line for this country that didn't always treat her very well. And we, she doesn't, so she instilled in me the survivor mentality, not the victim mentality. And that's the important thing is it's what you, you know, choose to focus on. Is the glass half empty? Is it half full? Or if you're a leftist, it's the water's racist. So well, we- that, This sounds a lot like Alan West's personal story. <laughs> But I guess they're both of the military cloth, but we moved around a lot. And then I basically formed my, I skipped two grades. I was a bookworm and geek extraordinaire. Well, and I went to- an electrical engineer. So we're, we're academics in this, in this house. And I went to college, I left for college at 16. So I desperately spent the first few years of my college career hiding my age. Jeremy keeps getting me guests that are smarter than I am. And this is like, this is just ridiculous. I'm supposed to be like this towering intellect. And, you know, it's a, when am I going to get to lord it over somebody? All right, fine. This won't be that one. <laughs> well, you 16. did 16. And I hit that. I celebrated my 18th birthday three years in a row. I never <laughs> told anybody how old I was, but uh, then I went off to college and I started in the global agencies with Ogilvy and Mather and McCann Erickson doing uh, accounts like IBM and Shell Oil. And- um, Are you working business side or, or, or creative side? I worked on uh, the creative and the business side. So I didn't do the graphic design, but I was the account supervisor. I used to place the media buys. And uh, 
those sort of things. Okay, okay. I don't, this is great. This is good because I because because you know you you can't get this stuff from your campaigns. All the your your web. This is much more interesting. Because I know you, I like I know your position is that I'm a conservative. We're in favor yes. of orders, yeah. But how do you go from a military family and hard science? What what was your dad's field, by the way? I say he was. I'm he sure was. He, he flew in Vietnam. He was a pilot initially, and then he ended up. Uh, he was a lawyer. So then he ended uh, with uh, military intelligence and and with a law degree. Okay, so these are some hard ass parents. Yes. And then you you say, well, based on based on what I grew up with, I want to go into advertising. I double that? majored in advertising and law. I couldn't decide. I was addicted to commercials and CSI uh, and and forensics, so I could not decide. And I ultimately, become a trademark lawyer. And ultimately, my student loans decided that uh, when I got out of college, I didn't have a chance to be picky. I was like, I have to get a job. I have to start paying these back. I didn't know that somebody was going to be paying off my student loans, you know, and passing it on to the whole world. But I got a job and paid it off. And ultimately, go ahead and pay them. Well, I, I, I mean, I never looked back. I love the creative flow to it, but I never wanted to join the military. I never saw that any kind of political, it was never in my wheelhouse. What put it in my wheelhouse was, you know, we are, my husband's a pilot. He needs to be near the airport so he can, he doesn't have to commute and he can be home for our family. And our eight-year-old daughter was expelled from, they tried to expel her from elementary school for voting for President Trump in a mock election they had without telling us, they called us and told her, told her to come pick her, pick her up from school, that there's been an incident. And I said, excuse me, and we went running only to find out, um, we we got there, my husband and I stood there and I said, you know, why my daughter's hysterically crying. I said, why does she look like this? And she said, well, we thought you would want to know that we had a, we had an election today. I said, you're studying civics? And she goes, no, but um, you're- no God, no, God forbid. <laughs> no, I mean, I just, I, I was like, make it make sense. <laughs> why is this happening? And she said, uh, oh yeah, but your daughter voted for Trump. And we're both looking at her like, you know, uh, okay. And she said, I said, you know, she's eight. She can't vote for anybody. And she said, oh, she's making those decisions now. Where will she be when she's an adult? I said, are you out of your effing mind? I said, you know, and name, that's what Name started. the school district. Name the school district. Huntington Beach, California. So I told- We're looking at you, Huntington Beach, California. Huntington Beach, California. And I have never seen anything like that. And then that's when we got a full dose after we pulled her out and immediately put her in homeschool. Hey, patients, where did this book come from? I've never seen it. This is a stay at school book. I said, what is a stay at school book? We're not allowed to take those home to the parents. And I went, oh my. So the short story is I looked at Paul and I said, this is bigger. Something is really not right here with what's going on with our kids. And I'm telling you that day, Ron, the conservative warrior was born. They're like, what do you, what makes a conservative warrior? Having them come after our most vulnerable makes a conservative warrior. So I immediately jumped in the field. I said, Paul, we have got to get the heck out of California and we have to go home. I have to go by where they're carrying guns, where they're free and we have Whataburger right now. So we moved back and I, I ran for Congress and we weren't successful, but you know, any door that God opens, no man can close. 
And now I've gotten a chance to meet you. I'm getting a chance to, now I'm just not Texas's warrior. I'm everybody's conservative warrior. And we're out there fighting the fight that needs to be fought. And I was hand raised by warriors. <laughs> so is is your daughter now in the public school? In a, in, she is in, homeschooled. We tried once again to put her in school in Texas thinking I'll put her in a Christian school. I'll watch them like a hawk the first few months only for her to come back three months in and say, mommy, I'm the only one that's not vaccinated in my classroom. I said, um, how could you possibly know that? And she said, because they asked us. And I said, excuse me. <laughs> I just needed my daughter to tell me that she had had her HIPAA rights violated at a Christian university. And sure enough, when I showed up the next day as angry mama bear, and I said, excuse me, my daughter said this. And I quote, Ron, you're going to love this. So I go to the administrators and I said, my daughter's under the impression that you were playing COVID vaccine videos and telling them they kicked her out of class. They said that once she revealed that she had not taken it, it made the other students uncomfortable and she was asked to leave. And they never called and told me. And I said, how does that happen? And she said, Jesus would want you to take the vaccine. I said, I beg your pardon. And she said, Jesus would be a fan of anything that protected his flock. And I said, Jesus put his hands on lepers. <laughs> and uh, I immediately said, we're going to be going ahead and pulling her, her out. And they actually had the police come and take the books we were taking out of a sixth grade's locker and remove them from us rather than let us see them and take them home when we elected to take her out of school. That's what's going on. So I want to tell your listeners, it's not my school. Yes, it is. You know, they have declared war on our children. So that's and what got me into something the very, I, very important there. Because I was going to make a general point, but there's a more specific point. My general point is a lot of people think that private schools are immune, whether they're religious or, or, or non-denominational, are immune from what's going on in education today. They are not. No. They're not. And, and, and in fact, the more elite the school the more likely, but but even if there's a even if a school is a, is affiliated with a religious denomination, a lot of those denominations have become completely woke themselves. They're Four. letting in the woke for the dollars. But who was it? Was it Jesse James that said, "Why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is." Right. That's where they are. People. It's it doesn't matter whether it's private. They want the children, Ron. So they're infiltrating all the ranks because they want. They know that we don't want this indoctrination and that we're putting our kids there. So they are following suit and they are infiltrating the private and Christian and Jewish schools. Well, they, they really are. And in fact, that goes, this goes back to a topic you and I discussed briefly on your, on your podcast, anti-Semitism. Yes. Um, there's been this incredible increase in media attacks, particularly from the New York times on the Hasidic community in New York city. Yes and how they run their schools. Why? What's what's all of a sudden the issue? There have been Hasidic schools in New York, you know, in number for generations now. What's yes. going on now? What changed? Several things. One is that as a model of schools that produce citizens that tend not to commit violent crime and tend to get married and stay married and not have children out of wedlock and not be drug addicts, that is a damning indictment of the New York City public school system. But also, these are schools that have resisted the wokeness that they're trying to push. And, and that's part of what's going on also, is, is that they've passed this, in New York, this massive, uh, you know, ed, ed, 
set of regulations that is meant to give government bureaucrats the ability to go into private religious schools and not just tell them you're not teaching chemistry properly, right. but saying, but you're not teaching biology properly. What biology, you know, the kind of biology that a justice of the Supreme Court doesn't know well enough to decide whether or not she's a woman. Okay. It's, it, it's really, it's everything. It's every, it, it, no, it is. And it's the fundamental, I always have to simplify this for the people I talk to because that's where the creative helps. So let me tell people, this is how you digest it. There is no money in normal traditional families and in normalcy. The money is in all these other factions, all these other, you know, look at it from a, a medical standpoint. There's no money in health. All the money is in supplements, pills, chemo treatments, doctor's appointments, shots, wow. treatments. That's there. They make more money off of you when you're constantly anxious, when you're constantly ill, when you have all these ailments, when you're running to the doctor. They don't make money off of healthy, well-adjusted, two-parent family people who don't need lots of therapy puppies. So they make their money off of people who constantly need something to fix it. You know, God is free and that's a problem <laughs> for a lot of people. Do you think the fact that you came from a from a household with military parents gave you the, the ability to, to have this sort of, this framework where you understand, um, you know, morality not even necessarily morality, responsibility and accountability in a way that I think so many, so many other Americans don't seem to be able to, to, to get. It is. It, there's two layers that, and it's nice that you're actually asking this because I don't get to go into kind of details, but two things that I would like to say. One is of being Native American. A lot of people don't know that. Some just assume that I'm African American. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'd like to tell people is I don't get to decide what days I want to deal with racism. I don't get to decide when this is a fight I want to have. This is something I've had to deal with my whole life. So I can either let myself be crippled by it. I can use it as a crutch for everything I can't do, or I can just accept Everybody has something they have to deal with. And this is just something I have to deal with. And sometimes it's good. Some days I'm like, oh, they, and we move on. The other thing is you well, can't but, fix. No, I just want to put a stick a pin in that for a second, because this goes back to your, to your lesson from your mother. Yes. Which is that, yes, there are problems. Yes, I'm, I'm people. There are people who are treating me without respect or even insubordinate under, yes. the, under the rules. But guess what? I'm not going to be diverted from what I want to achieve Correct. and from the loyalty that all things being considered, I have for the country that has given me this opportunity. Now I've got a laundry list of problems that have to be solved. But that Correct. doesn't mean I'm throwing everything out the window. That was your first point. Your second point? Second point is you can't fix what you don't acknowledge. You A lot of times people don't want to see the problem. They just want to talk around it, talk at it. I can't believe how many people talk to me about racism. They don't ever ask me 
what my perspective is. They tell me, well, you should feel like this. This is what we should be doing about racism. How would you honestly know? But what I can tell you is with the military parents, my parents were never home. They were gone 325 years my last year before I went to high school. I mean, I got used to get little post-it notes. We didn't have smartphones and every little post-it notes, pay this bill, put this in the mail, in the mail. We love you, you know, and things like that. And you don't, I never saw them. I can count the number of birthdays. I had my parents on one hand and I'm a grown adult. That was, a, and you don't get to complain. I remember you asking going, you know, why is this happening? But we lived in Germany when the Berlin Wall was up. I saw someone murdered trying to get to freedom. We used to go to the store. There was nothing in the shelves. We had empty supply chains. We had no gas. We had places my mom couldn't drive in the Middle East because they didn't respect women and she could be arrested. I mean, there are so many things that people talk about here that they've never, until you've lived it, until your your refrigerator is empty and you can't go because of a bomb threat, because there are terror. I mean, until you have lived it, you don't know. And now that's why when I saw it coming here, it's we are here. Communism is here right now, trying to take hold in the form of our government, who is in now a bunch of different things. They the government said nothing about educating your kids or providing you health care. It said all men were created equal. They were not guaranteed equal outcomes in life. And people keep messing this up of just going, all people are created. You can't do that. And that was not the intention. And that's why it's not working. They can't even do the few things they're responsible. They're responsible for securing the border. But instead, they want to dapple in health care. They want to dapple in child care. You know, child care is infrastructure. Like hell it is. Okay. Infrastructure is infrastructure. A border wall is infrastructure. So that's where we have to get them back of just going until you've seen that perspective, you've seen people who've lost their freedom you would do anything to to prevent that. You only get to vote for communism one time. So as you said that, I thought a very clever segue and then it doubled back on me. So you'll help me out here. I said, yes, of course. And and, and you, saw, you saw someone dying yes. in an attempt to cross the Berlin Wall. Yes. In other words, to in an attempt to achieve freedom Yes. Illegally, under the law of the country they were coming from. Correct. Uh, by crossing a border without Correct. permission. Now, what I was going to say was, by virtue of, of being um, in the you know in in this military context, you understand, obviously, that borders are the sine qua non of the existence of nation states. Yes. On the other hand, we also see that they can be, obviously, um, obstacles to achieving freedom. So how do you respond to someone who says that the people, and I think I think I know the answer, the, the people who come or are coming over the border are just trying to achieve freedom, just like that person you saw giving up his or her life in Berlin when you were growing up? No, the difference is, is the person I saw in Berlin um, was had nothing. He was not given an option. And the second thing is he was, you know, they were unarmed. You know, the answer is what can the government do once you, they take their guns? The answer is anything they want. 
<laughs> and that was the the answer. These ones who are coming across the border, how do you justify starting your life, you know, illegally? So you want to start your American dream by crossing into the country illegally and then coming in to to be afforded the services and the resources that are paid for, okay, by your fellow Americans. And many of these people, because I was just at the border, um, are not coming in waving the American flag, desperate to learn English, desperate to assimilate to our countries. They come in waving the Honduras flag, the Venezuelan flag. They come in waving countries that they say they're fleeing because of oppression. They also know the cartels run those. We heard a horrific story last night from one of our border agents about an 11 year old girl who was raped and left in the desert. She had 22 samples inside of her and samples only left last 24 hours. You know, so you're telling me that your quest for freedom would allow you to put your child in this kind of peril, knowing that the, the border to our, our legal border, the ports of entry are not in the river, but right. the ports of entry do not have cartel members in them. So if you were going to embassies and legal ports of entry, you would not be exposing your family to this kind of danger. And I don't feel anything that they are fleeing that kind of energy should be put into making so me, your country better. Ports of entry, right? Ports of entry is a term of art. It is a phrase that comes out of the statute that defines the conditions under which a person seeking legal asylum, asylum, legal asylum based on political. There it uh, is. Not economic. Not economic, because guess what? Everyone in South America would be entitled to asylum, except for exactly. the except for the cartel members themselves, and very, 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 very thin slices of the governments that run these countries. Well, I don't know because they're emptying their prisons. They actually said in Venezuela they are emptying their prisons and allowing them so that way they don't have to feed and house their criminals. Oh, they are sending them to the border. Entirely rational. And then they just grab a kid somewhere, rape a kid here and there, and all of them come with bracelets showing how much they are indebted to the cartels for. So they all start their American dream, their economic asylum with debt to drug dealers and sex traffickers. And then they come into our country wanting to be welcomed with open arms, taking taxpayer resources and saying, we just want a better life. So is the translation, you just want a better life at the expense of you know, the citizens you are sponging off of. This is the land of the free, not the land of the freeloaders. So Raven, these people are doing this and most of them are probably, you know, listen, as you point out, to put your own child at risk, uh, you know, is something that we can't even conceive of. But for for most of them, and you, and you, you know, there, there are all these pictures that we've seen of busloads and busloads of Men in their tw in their twenties, not, you know. Yes, fighting age men. Eminently, uh, you know, are they are, are capable of, of of taking care of themselves? It's rational for them to try to get in on on the goodies. What what the irrationality is the way, the policy that's in place in this country. Correct, because they're incentivized to not follow the law. You don't get the free cell phones, the health care, and all of those. As an American citizen, they wouldn't qualify. So they make no effort to become citizens because they get more being illegal. So I'm going to ask a really kind of, you know, uh, uh, such an obvious question. 
but I, I, you know, you've spent so much time thinking about this issue. What is it? What's the incentive of the Democratic Party and a very large percentage of the Republican Party to encourage these preposterous policies? Is it just we're bringing in future Democratic voters? Is it that simple? No, it's not. So for the Republicans and the milquetoast soft who have also not solved this problem, they like the cheap labor. They like to exploit these people, knowing how desperately they want to come here and do that. So um, I feel like on the Republican side is an attempt to exploit cheap labor. And uh, when you have elitists who have these jets and everything, they 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 need people to run this operation. On the other side, the Democrats, I feel it's a little bit more nefarious. They are looking not only for future votes, because I can guarantee you, okay, that if these people that were sneaking in voted Republican, you'd be able to see that wall from space. Okay, so it's part of it is just the the votes. The other part of it is they need an underclass. They need someone who needs them desperately and wants that welfare state, someone who wants to be kept and who is okay with, that's not the American dream to work hard and get something. It was not a handout and that's what they love to get. So we've, they've been entitling these people and making them feel like they are owed something by their very existence. So that's what we, they're, they're training future loafers who are not contributing, but will vote and keep the power coming and occasionally cheap laser. So it's votes and exploding, exploiting an underclass, which keeps shifting. First, it was black people. Then it was, you know, the illegals coming through and then it's back to black lives. So they constantly looking for an underclass that they can exploit and say, we are your saviors. Let us create some problems so we can solve them. And P.S. Trump is horrible. Why have black voters tolerated this they, this is there, there's because the because because the majority you know the 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 typical black voter the not you know, middle class and below actually I, I suppose the higher actually the higher economic and social class a black is probably the more likely is to be a democratic voter but these guys are squeezed. There's, they're, they are by far the ones who lose out the most from this policy. Yes, they Why are they not. I don't like to use the. I use the term historically illiterate um, because I'm of Native American descent, so I've got a whole other layer of that that people don't realize. But a lot of people can't have the discussion. When I say this to people, I get anger and angst. But at least I'm coming to from a point that their ears are open. A lot of them don't know what Juneteenth really is. That's the day that we had to come down and let you know that you were free. And they celebrate that as some kind of holiday for the, um, the Democrats. They vote for them because they don't realize the effort that has been put through by the Democrats to destroy the Black community. Margaret Sanger actually said that that was the goal of Planned Parenthood, but yet who's their biggest consumer? And you know, the Democrats and, and what people don't realize is why are most of the northern states blue if it was the South that separated? It's because they couldn't run their own fields. And when the slaves, I mean, they fought against how many Democrats voted for black people to be free or for women to have the right to vote. So the problem is, is you don't that was the great reset is when 
all of a sudden they started flooding up to the north and posturing themselves as as the you know, as the saviors, when I tell people, let me just tell you this one statistic. When I talk to people of color and I'm willing to have that diet, let's talk. I'm not angry when I talk to them. Let's have a discussion because this, how can you Raven? How can you support this? How can I? Let's talk about that, shall we? Okay, who was in power when they stole the land from my ancestors? You want reparations? So you want the land that was stolen from my ancestors to pay you for something you never experienced? So let's really talk about that. But I said, how many Union soldiers? So you know that Civil War, most of them know that Civil War erupted over slavery. How many Union soldiers died fighting for, for slaves they never owned? 100,000 Union soldiers lost their life to defend freedom that they never took from anybody. And yet you, 265 years later, are voting for the party that enslaved them. That is... One statistic, when I say to people, a lot of times you should see the, the gas because they honestly don't know. They're not teaching this in schools anymore. They have eliminated civics. They've eliminated history. Now we've got all social justice. You know, it, it's okay to tear down Lincoln's statue. He's the one who freed the slaves, but you're defacing Lincoln's statue. Okay, but you've got one of George Floyd who was arrested for pointing a gun at the belly of a pregnant woman and was high on coke or something, fentanyl. I don't understand, but when you look at the machine that is putting that forward and all the history is gone, now we understand that. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. So what can we do now that we have failed to put you in Congress? So what... Now she's loose in the nation, guys. <laughs> That's right. In fact, we, you, God has saved you from going to Washington and being rendered utterly useless. Um, oh, bump, bump, bump. What's your plan? What's your plan? My plan is I had to really take a page out of the Bible and because I'm a doer, we're warriors. I'm like, okay, where's the fight? We're, we're going. Uh, but, you know, God has a passage in there and be still and know that I am God and, you know, to kind of let him light it a step at a time. So what I've noticed is now that I don't have the title you know, of Congress, now I'm free to, to fight the full conservative CRT, all the things. And so what my plan for the short term is I am now, that's how my social media came up with the conservative warrior, but now it kind of fits because I have been everywhere. I've been in North Carolina helping them, Salt and Life for Religious Freedoms. I've been with Moms with Liberty uh, trying to fight against this indoctrination because they can't say it, I can say it. You know, I can walk in, they can call me whatever, you're a white supremacist, you know, that's queen supremacist to you, get it right. So we we get on them, so because I can say that and I can take it. Now I realize, that must have been in the plan for God of being able to, and my goal is, we won't know that we won't make it. I would love to have a debate about oppression of minority women on the house floor of the highest government in the land with AOC. Let's do it. Let's talk about oppression in the Capitol between you and me. Okay, so we will we will do that, but it just comes from right now. I don't think people are are asleep, Ron. I think they're afraid, and now we have to let them know that we have to we have to report to this line. Faith without works is dead. So what we have to do is start. We have to start mobilizing this thing and putting God back. We can't just sit back and go, "Wow, they're cheating." Okay, report to this line. It's time to don't just vote. Take twenty people with you. 
It, what is your congressman right now, viewers? What is he voting for right now? Do you know? If you don't, you should be on the phone right now going, if you even think about this, we're going to be out at your picketing, your office. That's how it happens. That's how you get it. What little change we got on the speaker's floor came from 20 people who were threatened and abused for trying to stand up, but to get that gavel out of her vodka soaked fingernails and, you know, and get it back to that's what we, and people are like, oh my God, why don't we just vote for the speaker? Why are they, you asked them to stand up. We told them to get a backbone. We told them to push back. We told them to stop being the uniparty. You know, that's what, so that's what we need to start seeing. It works. It works. I I think you've really nailed it. The, the, not being afraid. And, it's, you know, listen, you're fortunate if you have faith in God because you know that you can't come to any harm that God doesn't want you to come to. And that you can also never be worse off by doing the right thing. He's okay. already won the victory. But some people, let's say they don't have, you know, some people call it a gift of faith or they, they don't they don't want to make the investment in in developing faith. I'm 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 not a theologian, yeah. but either way, the fear thing. Uh, people have to be prepared to stand up and be counted. And you know, I sometimes, you know, during heated moments, uh, for for example, as you know, my maybe by the time uh, this drops, it'll be decided. Um, my partner Harmeet Dillon is running to become the uh, yes the, she is the chairman of the republican national committee yes and certain people on the right have you know uh, especially before she before she announced and she was associated with the rnc and people would say you know would, would, would call her a rhino and she and 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 in almost always these people were anonymous Always. And I would say, I know what Harmeet is doing, and I know she's put her, 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 her career and her name and her reputation where her mouth is. You're, you're a, you know, a, a dog on Twitter or a flower or, you know, a cartoon character. Okay. You, you got no skin. Again. Oh, well, listen, if I put my real name down, I might risk my Yes, you might. Yes. But if you don't risk it, you risk everything. And, you know. What's the safest place in a hurricane? I always tell people, you know, a ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships were made for. Right. Very good. On that, believe it or not, time has flown. I want to thank you very much for, for joining us. Let's make sure that people understand if they want to learn more about you and what you're doing where to go and we'll flash it up on the screen jeremy let's not forget uh account or website or what's what, what what's the what are we focusing on now for the so if they're uh, wanting to reach me you can reach me at ravenharrison.com that's our website um ravens radar has the podcast uh, we have a facebook page for ravens radar we have very um, big because that's really your your main facebook is our main one, just because there was so much, you know, Twitter gate and everything going on, but now that's being resolved. But Facebook, Raven, the conservative warrior, dropping me a message on there is the best way to to get a hold of us. And then just uh, and then they can always find us 
Uh, and we've got the book coming out, Raven's Mantle. That'll be available oh. on uh, ravenharrison.com where we're going to outline these stories. Parents in the Pentagon for 9-11, Vegas oh, Massacre. There's a book coming out. You'll be doing a book tour. So that's going to be the New York uh, the New York event. You got that right. Okay. Let's, we'll, we'll talk about making sure that you you get the right place and the right people there. That I'm, sounds I'm fantastic. Raven, thanks so much for coming on the show. And we'll talk again soon. Honored to be here. Thank you so much, Ron. So long. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.